Today's evening scripture reading is Second Peter chapter 3, be reading at verse 9. Again, that is Second Peter chapter 3, and be reading at verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Good morning. Some people are paying attention. Good. Good evening. It's good to see everybody here this afternoon. It really is an honor to, to be able to stand here in Gary's place while he's away. I want you to imagine something this evening. Imagine if someone came up to you and told you that Christianity is not for everyone. Imagine if someone came up to you and told you that. What would you think of? What would you say? Would you think of the verse that our brother Brandon just read, Second Peter chapter 3, in verse 9? You could answer them that way. That, that would certainly be good. Or you might be able to uh, go to John chapter 3 and verse 16 and let them know that, no, actually, God loved the entire world. He loved the entire world so much that he gave his son so that whoever, whosoever believed in Jesus could have the opportunity to be saved. You could answer that. There's, there's no other passages that you could go to as well to show them that we serve a gracious God and a patient God and a forgiving God and a God who loves everyone and wants everyone to be saved. But what if I told you that Christianity is not for everyone? What if I told you that the Bible says that there is one sense in which Christianity is is really not for everyone? I believe that to be the case. Now, I don't mean that in the Calvinistic sense. That is, there's some people who say that before the world ever uh, began, God chose certain people that he really liked, and those guys and girls are going to be saved no matter what, and even if they don't want to be saved, they're going to be saved anyway. And then all these other people over here who God didn't choose from the beginning, there's, there's nothing they can do, and there's no way they can be saved, even if they wanted to be saved. That's what some people think. I, I, don't, I don't understand why they say that. There's a lot of passages that they try to use to take out of context. Anyway, that's not what we're saying. We're not talking in a Calvinistic sense. We're not saying this in a Calvinistic sense. How then can Christianity not be for everyone? Brother Thomas B. Warren, he wrote a, a very good book a few years back. I say a few years. It was probably like before I was born. Um, but the book's title is Marriage is for Those Who Love God and One Another. Don't worry, we're not talking about marriage tonight. Um, although I am about to celebrate my fifth year uh, wedding anniversary, I'm not qualified to, to speak on marriage. Um, but this book is a collection of sermons that Brother Warren put together a long time ago, and he points out in chapter 4, and chapter 4 is actually titled Marriage is Not for the Immature. In chapter 4, he points out that a marriage with one or two spouses who are immature is miserable and it's doomed for failure and there's no way it can be happy or successful in basically any kind of way. So like I said, we're not going to talk about marriage, but we're going to apply many of the principles from this book, from chapter 4, and apply it to Christianity. And we're going to say this evening that Christianity is not for the immature. 
we might often think that, you know, Christianity isn't for those people who really enjoy sin and really uh, like to go out and kill people and rob banks and all that. You know, the really bad stuff. But when we think about what the Bible says about immaturity, hopefully it would cause us to, to, to take a step back and, and examine ourselves and see if we're maturing in Christ like we should. Because the Bible says, if you don't, you're going to miss heaven. You're going to miss heaven. But we'll get to that in just a moment. There's different kinds of, of maturity. There's chronological maturity. There's physical maturity. There's intellectual maturity, emotional maturity, and spiritual maturity. That's, that's at least five. There may be more, um, but we're, we're not even going to talk about all five. We're just going to talk about the last two, emotional and spiritual. Okay? We can imagine someone who is 50 years old chronologically. It has been 50 years since he was born. So he's 50 years old chronologically. Maybe he works out and he's really healthy, so he is physically closer to 40 years old. So he's maybe 10 years younger than he actually is, physically speaking. Uh, maybe this guy is, is really smart. He did really well in college, and he studies a lot and reads lots of books. So intellectually, say he's 60 years old. He's, 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 uh, he's smarter than most people his age. But we can also imagine that emotionally this person might be like 10 years old, like he's an adolescent. Maybe he yells at people and, and gets angry real quickly, and some of us have had bosses like that. Um, and, and he just he likes to run people over and all sorts of unfun stuff. And perhaps also spiritually, maybe he's one or zero or like three months old. He really knows very little about the Bible and God. He's an infant, spiritually speaking. We've probably all met someone like this, uh, like I mentioned, an overbearing boss, or uh, hopefully not a spouse or a parent. Um, but like I said, we're going to focus tonight on emotional and spiritual maturity. Because these things, these two aspects of it, are the hardest to develop. You know, chronological, all you have to do is do nothing, basically. Just be alive and you'll mature chronologically. But emotionally and spiritually, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. It's deliberate stuff that you have to do. And immaturity, if you want to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18, we'll look at that in just a second. Luke chapter 18, immaturity is really interesting because it's something that is really easy to spot in others. Like if you had uh, a piece of dirt or on your forehead or a spinach in your tooth or something, you won't know it if it was you. But if you're talking to someone and they have like a big piece of spinach stuck in their tooth or like a smudge of something on the forehead, you notice it right away. It's really easy to notice. That's kind of how immaturity is. When, when we ourselves are immature, it's really hard to notice. And in Luke chapter 18, we'll look at the Pharisee. Here Jesus is telling a parable of a Pharisee, which is supposed to be like the, the doctors and lawyers and, and all that sort of stuff in the law of Moses. They're supposed to be the best of the best, and then we have a tax collector, a Republican, and they, not Republican, a publican, they are the lowest of low, and they're hated by everybody, and they're all rotten, and we, we find that the Pharisee was very immature emotionally and spiritually. For the life of him, he just, he couldn't find a single thing that was wrong with him. There, there just wasn't a single thing wrong with him. He says, God, I thank you, for, uh, chapter 18, verse 11, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers. I'm doing all these things real, real well. I fast all the time, and I'm giving a bunch of money and stuff, and, and there's a rotten tax collector over here. I'm glad I'm not like him. 
he was able to point out all sorts of uh, flaws and, and nitpick things about this other guy, but for the life of him, there wasn't a single thing that he could see in himself. He was a very immature person. And there's, we all have areas where sometimes, from time to time, we can be a little bit childish. But once we recognize themselves, uh, once we recognize it uh, in ourselves, then we can take steps to fix it, right? So, what does spiritual or emotional immaturity look like? It first can appear as selfishness. Selfishness. And we're going to look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. When someone has a self-centered point of view, they tend to act very childish. It's my well-being above everyone else's. I want to go to Burger King. I don't care if you guys want to go to Chick-fil-A. We're going to Burger King. Selfishness. How little can I give and still uh, be on the roster? How little can I do and still be pleasing to God? How little can I wear and still not really cross the line? How little of my time and my money and all of this stuff can I give? Because it's mine, after all. I'm selfish. How little can I do and still be okay? Now, I'm going to show you a picture, and this cute little girl, she is cute. Don't you say anything about her. She is my niece. Um, her name is Aubrey, and she is just the sweetest little thing. Um, but as nice as, as little Aubrey is, I think she's about to go into kindergarten this year. As nice as she is, I don't think there's ever been a single time where she said, Uncle Evan, how are you feeling? Uncle Evan, what game would you like to play? Uncle Evan, are you hungry? Can I make you a sandwich? <laughs> that would be very nice if she did. Um, but she will say, Uncle Evan, let's play this game that I want to play. Uncle Evan, I'm hungry. Uncle Evan, I'm tired, or whatever. She, she's very quick to, to vocalize her needs and her wants. She's a child. We expect her to be rather immature. And it's kind of cute. Uh, she's young. And as long as, as she continues to grow up, We expect her to grow out of that mindset. We expect her focus to to move from her to other people. So we tolerate it in in very young children. But there are some people who just never grow out of this selfish phase. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind. Let each esteem others better than himself or herself. I should think of you as better than me. I should say, whatever you want to do, let's do that. It's easy for us to see, but when, when there's something that we just really, really want, it's a little bit harder to give in. It's a little bit harder to be selfless. The second attribute that I want to look at is ingratitude. Ingratitude or thanklessness. We'll turn over to Second Timothy, chapter three. We'll look at verse two in just a moment. This is similar to selfishness, but the application is a little bit different. This is someone who is either thoughtless in regard to the efforts of others. Imagine someone who does something for you, and it it just doesn't really cross your mind to say, "Oh, wow, thanks. Thank you for doing that." So maybe it just doesn't cross your mind. For instance, a mother of a sick infant might stay up with him all night long and tend to his every need, and that baby is just never going to say, Mom, you know what? I really appreciate 
what you doing for me? And I know I've been crying a lot and carrying on and pooping on myself and all sorts of stuff. And I really appreciate how much you've, you've sacrificed for me. No, infants don't say that. Of course, we know that. Infants are immature emotionally. We don't expect them to be able to say and do all those things. Second Timothy chapter 3, Paul lists unthankfulness right there along with some pretty bad stuff. Slander, despisers of what is good, blasphemers. You could say, I hate God. I, God, I hate you. That's pretty bad. We, we would, most of us would say that's pretty bad. And, and our brother Paul says, he lists that right there next to ingratitude or unthankfulness. Or on the other hand, if, or if perhaps the, the thought that uh, the, the thought doesn't cross their mind to, to say thanks, maybe it does cross their mind, and uh, they they really don't mean it when they say it. They they feel sort of entitled to whatever you did for them. Imagine a drill sergeant. You say, "Drop and give me twenty push-ups and run around the thing." And I don't know what drill sergeants do. Uh, you can ask David or someone else later. Drill sergeants, you know, in the movies and stuff, they're they're pretty they're pretty uh, rough characters. And I've never seen a single one ever say thank you, thank you, Private So and So, for doing all those push-ups so well and not complaining about it. No, because when someone signs up in the army, they owe that to their drill sergeant. They owe that to their commanding officer. They don't have to say, uh, you're welcome and thank you and please and all of this stuff. That's not needed because the drill sergeant is entitled to their obedience. He is entitled to their obedience. But for those of us in the civilian world, which is, I imagine, all of us, we ought not to think of ourselves as entitled to anyone else's time or efforts. If you think of yourself as entitled, I deserve your time, I deserve your attention, I deserve your efforts and all of this sort of stuff, then we're being immature, we're being ungrateful. Uh, Paul thought uh, about it this way. If we look in the beginning of Romans, uh, Romans uh, Romans chapter 1, he said that people didn't owe him a single thing. He basically said, I, Paul, am a debtor to everyone. You guys don't owe me a thing. I owe you my time and my blood and my sweat and my tears and my effort and everything that I have, I will give to you. Paul was a pretty mature person. Paul was a pretty mature person. There isn't, in reality, a whole lot uh, of things on this earth that we are entitled to. If we understand the Bible correctly and we realize, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, that every single one of us has sinned and we have so sinned that the only thing that we really deserve is punishment, then whatever sense of entitlement that we have sort of goes away. We thank God that his grace reaches us, don't we? we? We thank God that he loved us enough to give us what we didn't deserve. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, he gave us his son. An immature person can never appreciate or be grateful for what other people do for them, and much less an immature person is unable to thank God and appreciate God for the things that he has done for them as well. When was the last time, this is just for example, when was the last time you thanked Brother Fred for cleaning the building? When was the last time you, you thought about how long does it take for him to come up here on a Saturday night or, or however often he does it to, to clean the building? 
How, when was the last time that you uh, thanked Brother Vassal for fixing all the things? There's a lot of things, you know what, that, that break in this building, and you just wouldn't even notice it because they just get fixed right away. When was the last time that you thanked Brother Anton for all the time that he spends doing all the financial stuff and taking care of all the things that he does? And, and Brother Noel and, Alette, and Sister Aletta and all the work that they do with the, the youth and, and other areas. And, and I, could, I could really go on the rest of the night talking about individuals here who do things that go unnoticed and they do them anyway. Because all of the people that I mentioned are mature. They're mature. They don't do it for the thanks. Hey, look what I did. I did it and, and I'm going to be a, a sour puss about it if, uh, if you don't thank me. And I'm going to gripe and moan and complain if, if, if someone doesn't thank me from the pulpit. No, no. They do it and they, they know that this is going to go on unnoticed for a long time and that's okay. That's okay because our God in heaven notices it. There isn't a single thing that escapes his attention. And we're doing these things for our God in heaven and not to be seen by our brothers and sisters. Although it is nice every once in a while to hear a good job or thank you. Gratitude is something that we have to sometimes work at. Maybe we have to keep our eyes a little bit more peeled than we have been in order to notice when people are doing great things and say, good job, keep it up. I'm, I'm really thankful that, uh, that you're doing whatever you're doing, and I don't have to do that. Okay, stubbornness. Stubbornness is the next attribute that we're going to look at. Romans chapter 15 and verse 2. And now when we're speaking of stubbornness, uh, I want to I make it clear that we're not talking about doctrinal matters. We're, we're certainly not talking about doctrinal matters. When the Bible says something, we should all demand that we, we should all be stubborn. We should all stubbornly stick to just exactly what the Bible says. We should all stick to what the Bible says when, the, when God has said something uh, regarding the issue. But for matters of, of, of opinion, for things that God didn't specify one way or the other. We should not be stubborn. We should not be unrelenting because these are optional matters. Uh, one preacher told a story about a congregation that he preached for a few years back, and they happened to be redecorating. They were changing colors and changing the carpet and all that sort of stuff. We, we did that sort of thing recently. And there were brethren there who were so stubborn that basically two factions developed, and one of them wanted this color of carpet, and the other one didn't want that color, and they wanted tile. And they just couldn't agree. They were arguing and arguing and carrying on, and they were, they were being a bunch of babies, but they, the disagreement was so sharp that they had to hire someone to come in from the outside to make the decisions for them. They had to hire an interior decorator to make the decision for them. And then they were arguing about which interior decorator that they were going to hire. And then when they finally hired an interior decorator, they were still arguing because they said, well, she's on your side, and that's not fair. I'd be embarrassed to, to be part of that congregation. I sure would. And I'm, I'm really thankful that, that this isn't something that I've ever really noticed here, I'm, I'm really grateful for that. You want carpet? Fine. Brown, red, whatever. Cool. We, we basically don't care. Um, and if, if, if that's what our brothers and sisters want, we're all for that. But stubborn people aren't that way. They say, you know, 
I'm not actually being stubborn. My way, I just feel this way is actually really better. And uh, they, they just won't relent. Immature troublemakers in the church want it their way at almost any cost, whether it actually is the best way or not, or if it actually matters or not. That's an immature person. Another attribute that we want to look at is they have a, an irresponsible attitude. They, they have little or no sense of responsibility or obligation. Imagine if, if a mom is sick and the house is messy and the children come home and they, have, they feel no obligation whatsoever to help do the dishes or to clean up or to cook their own food. They say, Mom, when's dinner? Uh, and my bed is not made yet and uh, my clothes are dirty and this and that and mom, mom, mom. Or imagine a, a young child who is out uh, shopping with his mother downtown and the mother has a lot of bags in her hands and the child is tired and uh, just wants uh, nothing to do but to be held by his mother when her hands are already full. That child has no sense of obligation. There's no sense of responsibility there. All he knows is, I, I don't want to carry any bags. I want to be carried myself. Learning to bear your own burdens, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 5, as well as verse 2, learning to bear your own burdens or carry your own load is part of growing up. Some people have this attitude. Oh, what's on my to-do list today? Nothing. Because everybody else is doing it for me. There's, there's nowhere that I can jump in and help. There's nowhere that I can do more than I am doing. There's, there's no one that is so busy that they wouldn't appreciate having a weekend or a night off or whatever to, to, uh, to, so they can take that time off and I can come and help them in that, in that time. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're expected here, our brother Paul says, to not only bear our own burdens, so whatever is actually my obligation, I have to do that. I have to, you know, pay my own bills and take care of all the things I need to take care of and, and all the things that, that are my obligation. But not only that, when I see a brother or sister has a need, I need to be willing to take some of his or her burden onto myself as well. Bear one, another burden, one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We need to be able to take it upon ourselves to, to see when there's a need and to help out however we can. Some people, I hope, I hope it's not here, but some people might say, and, and this is something that has been heard uh, in, in various congregations, why should I have to do anything? Don't we pay the preacher to do that? No, we pay the preacher to preach, and we pay the preacher. He's called the evangelist, and he's going to evangelize for us, and he, he does all the things for us. So if we're paying him all this money to do that, then why should I have to do anything? I, I really hope that that's not a thought that has ever crossed your mind, because Gary sh- should certainly help us to teach us what we need to know, and he, he can and he does, uh, but he can't do our work for us. Gary can't evangelize for us or in our place. Gary can't pray for us in the sense that he's praying and I don't have to pray. He can't do our obligations for us. He can't make it to heaven for us. There's certain things that only I can do or there's certain things that I am best suited to do. And such is the case with everyone here. 
God expects you to develop whatever potential you have. And if you're unable to do certain things, maybe it's because you, you haven't taken it upon yourself to develop what God has given you. He expects you to develop it and to be useful to his kingdom and to do what you're able. And that's not do what you're comfortable doing. It's do what you're actually able to do, fulfilling whatever your potential is. The next one that we're going to look at is cowardly. Someone who is cowardly. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8. Revelation chapter 21 verse 8 says that people who are fearful or cowardly are basically just as bad as atheists and murderers and liars. They're all going to end up in the same place. Someone who is cowardly cannot make it to heaven. Someone who is cowardly, spiritually speaking, cannot make it to heaven. Children, if we, if we continue the parallel of, of thinking about children, children are very much afraid of all sorts of things that they shouldn't be. Loud noises will scare them, startle them. Uh, they, they might be afraid of the dark. They might be afraid of things that are under their bed. They might be very scared of uh, bad dreams. They might be afraid of new foods or new places or new things or talking to people that they, they don't normally talk to. All of these things can't really hurt them. Maybe like talking to some stranger, they might get kidnapped, but we're not talking about that. Uh, Most of these things, they can't really hurt them, but children are, are very afraid of them, and they're not comfortable doing those things, so they avoid those things. Turn over real quickly to Matthew chapter 25. Here is uh, Matthew chapter 25 and verse 25. Jesus is telling the parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verse 25. The one talent man ended up being punished. If you read through the, the account of the, the, the talents and all of that, the one talent man ended up being punished. And it wasn't, we already know this, it wasn't because he only had one talent. It was because he didn't use and develop the one talent that he had. And the reason he didn't use and develop the talent he had, verse 25, I was afraid. Fear can stop us from doing what we ought to be doing. And because he was afraid, the Lord came back and said that he was wicked and lazy. Sometimes we can let our fear drive us to become lazy people. And I'm the first to say, that's me. I I tend to be very lazy. And and like I always tell uh, people, whatever I'm preaching on is, is I'm not... I, I, I very rarely do I ever have anybody on my mind when I'm preaching but myself. So if I'm stepping on your toes, that's fine because my toes have already been stepped on. We can so often let ourselves become lazy and in turn become wicked because we're afraid to do what we're able to do. The immature person is is afraid to examine himself or herself to really find out if what I am doing is right or wrong. Sometimes a thought crosses our minds saying that if, if I don't actually find out for sure one way or the other, if what I'm doing is wrong or not, then you know I can't really get in trouble for doing this, right? Or if I don't develop my talents and I'm really bad at speaking and my knees knock when I get up there or uh, I, I just fumble all of my words when I'm talking to someone, then therefore I don't have to talk to people. When in reality it just becomes an excuse. 
And it's an excuse that it's, it's, one, of, it's one of my favorites. It's, it's in my back pocket. I pull it out all the time. God can't use someone who's too afraid to act. Many people fail to live up to the potential that God gave them because they never grow out of their childish fears. An immature person is afraid that they will find themselves in a conversation about the Bible and they'll, they'll, they'll sort of think it through in their heads and they'll say, okay, what if they ask me this? Well, I don't know the answer to that. Well, what if they say this? I don't know the answer to that either. And then they start thinking. And if I have a conversation about the Bible with someone, man, I'm really just going to feel stupid. So they avoid the conversation. I don't want to feel stupid, so I'm going to avoid the conversation. A mature person finds himself in a conversation with someone and they sometimes feel stupid. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that. But you know what? I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to find an answer and I'm going to get back to you and I'm not going to let this happen again. Next time this situation arises, I'll be prepared for it. Am I really doing as much as I can or because of fear, am I doing less than what I'm able to do? The next attribute that I want to look at this evening is someone who rejects criticism. Someone who rejects criticism, especially when it's very kind and very tactful and we pour a whole lot of sugar on it and make it sound really sweet. We do the old compliment sandwich. Oh, you're doing really good at this, but you can work on this, but you're really doing good at this other thing. You know how they they say do the compliment sandwich. Um, But an immature person, no matter how, how valid the criticism or correction is, they tend to reject it. They say, oh, I don't want to hear it. I can't hear you. Like this little cat here. I can't. I can't hear you. Um, I'm not listening. Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. He who hates correction is stupid. Uh, chapter 15 and verse 5 in Proverbs as well. A fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent. There's probably like a dozen or so verses more or less just like these in Proverbs alone admonishing us to listen to correction and accept it. And an immature person has a hard time listening to correction or criticism. If someone says uh, very kindly, well, you know, I, I think you did this wrong. They will take it as a personal attack on themselves. They will personally feel insulted, and they will either dig their heels in and defend themselves against what is a just and fair criticism, or they'll moan and pout and be sad. And the technical term is get bent all out of shape, if you've ever heard that term. Uh, or they'll retaliate and say, well, how, how dare you correct me? You're doing this other thing wrong, so there. Mature people are able to take criticism and correction well, even when sometimes it's not said in a very nice way. You're stupid and you're fat and you're ugly and your breath stinks and I hate you. That's not, that's not a nice thing to say, but someone who is, is mature, they might not appreciate it very much, but they would say, well, if I'm stupid, maybe I can learn more. Tell me where I'm stupid and I'll try to get a little bit smarter. Or if my breath stinks, I'm sorry. Uh, I'll carry around a breath mint with me. Um, can't do a whole lot about those other things. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll take it for what it's worth and I'll try to improve where I can. Even when it's coming from a really mean, rotten, nasty place, a mature person isn't going to get been out of shape about it. They'll say, okay. They'll pick out the parts that are valid and that they really can't improve on. And they'll say, you're right. You're right. I'll work on it. 
the immature person might say, you know, you didn't say this in a way that I, I really wanted you to say it, and therefore I'm not going to listen to you. The immature person is also sometimes the loudest critic themselves. It's easy to throw rocks and say, oh, you did this bad and you, you, uh, you did this wrong and I would have done it a different way uh, when you're sitting down and, and not doing anything. It's very easy for me to point out those kinds of mistakes and flaws in people when I'm not doing anything. But it's a lot harder to take the criticism when you're the one doing the thing. The next attribute that I want to look at is someone who makes bad comparisons. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 We'll turn there. Someone who has a poor standard of judgment or someone who makes bad comparisons. I call this uh, someone who plays the comparison game. And a childish person, person loves to play the comparison game. An immature person compares himself to others and says, at least I'm doing better than so-and-so. As long as I'm doing better than him or her, I'm okay. So imagine one person saying, I may not study the Bible all the time, but I do every once in a while, uh, every week or every month or however often I study the Bible, and I show up to church when I can, and so I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing way better than uh, Dave next door who uh, sleeps in every Sunday. And then Dave next door says, well, hey, I may never go to church or study my Bible, but at least I'm not out killing people and robbing banks. There's always someone worse you can compare yourself to and make yourself feel real good about where you are. And the murderer and drug guy, he's like, well, at least I only killed one guy. This guy next door, he killed three guys. Um, There's always someone worse we can compare ourselves to. Instead of comparing ourselves to other people, why not compare ourselves to ourselves? Am I better today than I was a week ago? Am I better today than I was a year ago? I feel like uh, sometimes I can't say yes to that. And if you're anything like me, then maybe some of us here can't say yes to that. I'm kind of the same I was a year ago. Even better, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, we can compare ourselves to the one where whom we will always fall short. That is Christ. We should always work toward improving and never be satisfied or complacent with our own personal development. On the other hand, we should always be satisfied with, uh, with what we've been blessed with. So there's a sense where in our personal development, we should never be satisfied with where we are. And regarding what we've been blessed with and what we have, we should always strive to be content. This, this rears its head as jealousy. So when, when one little girl gets her piece of birthday cake, she loves it and she's not complaining until she sees her sister get a piece that's just slightly bigger. Or maybe it's the corner piece and it has the, the extra frosting and you know the little frosting flower on it. And all of a sudden, what was very pleasing to her and made her very happy, and she couldn't find anything wrong with it until she saw someone else get something more than her. I want to show you, I, I brought a video uh, and um, maybe some of you had seen this. This this was an experiment that, that some researchers did with two monkeys. The monkey on the left, uh, so the, the experiment is this. The, the researcher gives the monkey a rock, and the monkey gives the rock back. And the researcher gives them a piece of cucumber. Monkeys really like cucumber, apparently, and they will do this just dozens and dozens of times. They love it. They can't get enough. But the monkey on the left gets a cucumber, and his friend, the monkey on the right, maybe her friend, gets a grape. And monkeys love grapes way more than cucumbers. 
Okay, so just uh, watch, watch what happens. Okay, so she's giving him the, the cucumber and he's eating it. Great, and then gets the rock from the other one. That one hands her the rock and she gives him the grape. Okay. And then the other monkey gets a piece of cucumber, no longer likes it. <laughs> and he's slamming his, he's shaking the thing and slamming his, his fist on the thing. He's like, this is unjust, this is not fair. This is, this is appalling. And then, okay, so the other one gets another grape. And so the monkey gets the rock back and he sort of bangs the rock. He's testing it, make sure the rock is working. And then he gets the cucumber again. And then he, he's thinking about it and then throws it back. That's how we are sometimes, isn't it? Isn't that just how we are? We are so happy with our house until our neighbor gets a bigger house. Or we're so happy with our car, teenagers, until our friend gets a nicer car. Or we're so happy with whatever until someone else gets something nicer. It's no surprise that monkeys act this and mature their animals, but I'd like to think that we, as people, are able to transcend a little bit and do a little bit better than they. The next thing that I want to look at is independence. And this is the last thing we'll look at this evening. Independence. This is one of my first, uh, this is one of the first things that toddlers will really enjoy doing. I want to do it all by myself. All by myself. I'm going to do it all by myself. And don't, don't you dare try to help a toddler doing something all by himself. Because he wail and scream and carry on on. And he, he wants to do it all by himself. If you try to help them when they're doing it, they will carry on because you're taking away their independence. And that's something that they have been learning to develop and they really enjoy uh, being independent. This independent attitude, not the screaming and wailing when someone helps us, the attitude of independence should characterize us as mature Christians. So uh, imagine that a, uh, before a kid leaves the house, you, you would hope to think that they're able to do a few things on their own without mom and dad holding their hands. They should be able to feed themselves. If your teenager still expects you to cut up his food into little bitty pieces and he just sits there and, and he, he wants you to put it in his mouth and maybe even do the chewing for him, uh, there's something sad about that. There's something very sad about that. Um, if, if mom and dad every once in a while wants to prepare a meal for their teenager, that's fine. Uh, but they, they shouldn't be expected to cut everything up and, and do the feeding and all that like a little baby bird. Likewise, something is very seriously wrong when... If everything we learn about the Bible has been pre-prepared for us, cut up into little pieces, and handed to us from the pulpit... There's something very sad about that. If the only spiritual food that you get is from the pulpit on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night, there's something very wrong. Mature people know where to find the food that they need, and when they're hungry, they go and feed themselves. It's, it's, it's great and nice and all of that sort of stuff to be able to get out of the house and be fed a nice meal every once in a while. But that should be the exception and not the rule. It should not be the only time we ever eat when someone else is preparing a meal for us and feeding us. The bulk of the spiritual food in a mature person's diet should be provided for by themselves. By themselves. Some of us who would never imagine in a million years skipping a meal are spiritually anorexic. We'll go on a hunger strike all week long and never crack our Bibles open or crack our Bibles open for like a minute 
or two minutes or ten minutes every once in a while and we go on this hunger strike all week long until someone sits us down and prepares this thing for us and feeds us by hand. It's really sad if that's the case. If you get most of your food during the week on a Sunday, that's very sad. It's no wonder some of us never grow up like we should because we're so malnourished we can't grow. If you, know, if you only feed a baby once a week, that baby, is, his growth is going to be stunted if he doesn't die completely. No matter how busy we are, we always happen to find time for food. We always happen to find time for breakfast, maybe not breakfast, lunch and dinner, uh, but we can only do this if we're hungry. Sometimes we don't, we're not hungry for spiritual things, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Imagine a perfectly healthy, uh, full-grown adult who still insists on wearing diapers. Imagine that. A perfectly healthy, full-grown adult, you know, 30, 40 years old, and he or she just wants to wear diapers. And not only that, but every time they soil themselves, they rely on someone else to come and change them. They will just sit there in their filth until someone else comes and, and changes them. How sad would that be? And it's the same situation when a Christian is soiled themselves with sin. And they won't make any adjustments. They won't make any improvements until someone else comes along and says... You know, you really could be doing this better. You know, this is something that you should change. When someone else comes and changes them for them, it's really sad that that person isn't grown up enough to be independent and to take care of their own problems. Sometimes we all need help, of course, but when it's the norm that we don't change ourselves when we need to, it's very sad. We should all... Always look for and appreciate godly advice and instruction when it's available, but we should carefully weigh that advice and make whatever application we deem appropriate in our own lives and make the conclusions that that we think we should draw. The Bereans, in Acts chapter 17, verse 11, they were commended for searching out the things for themselves. Here the mighty apostle came to them and was preaching and teaching and likely doing miracles and all sorts of stuff, but they didn't just accept that. They said, okay, we're going to check what you're saying. We're going to double-check you. And the key is how often they did it. Daily. Daily. So a spiritually mature person is independent. And of course there are many more attributes that mature and immature people had that we can look at. But hopefully these would suffice for now. What's the conclusion then? The conclusion is Christianity is just not for the immature. Christianity is not for the immature. The Bible is clear that a spiritually immature person cannot make it to heaven. Paul very plainly corrected the immature Corinthians in chapter 3 of his first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you are not able to receive it. And even now, even now you are still not able. He's calling them babies, you, you poor little babies. He'd like to speak them Speak to them like adults, like I'm sure any parent would like to reason with their their banshee of a child who's just screaming and yelling and just reason with them. Um, But you can't reason with a, a, a baby because they're too immature. And Paul is saying, I'm having a hard time reasoning with you people. You haven't grown like you should. They still needed that bottle. They still needed the milk. The Hebrews writer then in chapter 5 verse 12 says this. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, 
You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, and here's the key, those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. When you use it and you exercise your senses and the abilities that you have, you will grow. If you fail to do that, you will not grow. There are certain milestones or stages of growth that was expected of the Jewish Christians here in the letter of Hebrews. However long they had been Christians, maybe it was a few months or a few years, however long, we don't know. Whatever the time frame was, God expected them at a certain point to have grown, to have been teachers. So rather than adding to the burden of the church, always needing to be fed themselves, these people should have been teachers and themselves taking the word to others. So instead of adding to the burden on other, other people's shoulders, they were to lift the burden and make things easier for other people. A few verses later in chapter 6, we read that those people who fell away like this, the, the people who had the opportunity to grow but chose not to, it's just like they were crucifying the Son of God again. It's just like they had the nails in their hands and the hammer in the other hands. It's just like they were spitting in Christ's face and making public mockery of him. Not growing like you should is to mock Christ openly. We can all, again, we can all be immature in our own ways, but it's a natural part of our spiritual growth to notice those times and to do better the next time. As long as you notice and make those necessary corrections, you will continue to grow. Go ahead and grab your songbooks, please. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation song. For our visitors here, if you know what you need to do to be a Christian... If you'd like to start growing spiritually and emotionally like you should, let us know. You have the opportunity as we sing the song to come forward and let that need be known. Or if you'd like to know a little bit more about what it means to be a Christian, what it takes to become a Christian, you can do that too. For those of us who are, have already become Christians, if you sin publicly, go ahead and make that right publicly. If it was between you and one or two other people, make it right between you and one or two other people. If it was amongst a number of people, then you have the opportunity to make that right publicly now as well. Or if you just need the prayers of the church, will you please come forward now as we all together stand and sing.